Trying to score from the plug today I sure could use a shot Zannies are helping but I need more Guess I'll smoke some pot I'm about to go insane Sometimes I need to go where everybody does cocaine And we always find a vein I want to fix and do some blow The troubles will go away I want to be where everybody does cocaine You shoot your dope, I'll smoke some crack Junkies are all the same I want to be where everybody does cocaine. Hey, hey, hey! It's time for doping. And I want to sing a song for you. Chris gonna show you a thing or two. You'll have some fun now with me and all the gang. Learning from each other while we do our thing. Nah, 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 gonna have a good time. Hey, hey, hey. Nah, 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 gonna have a good time. Danny Chris coming at you in music and fun. If you're not careful, you might learn something before it's done. Hey, hey, hey. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California. This weekend, our friend John Bucati is doing a painting and storytelling performance about his recovery. Oro is an incredible treatment facility. They make sure to treat all alcoholics and drug addicts by using compassion and connection, not control. Their team has so many decades of treating co-occurring mental health disorder it seems redundant for me to say it so many times the most important thing to say is that everyone that we know that goes to oro has had profound positive experiences their team loves their work their team cares for their clients if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny southern california you should totally go to oro if nothing else just for the amenities sound bath meditation Equine therapy, yoga, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Check them out at ororecovery.com. Read the reviews. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Sober Link. We'd like to talk to you about alcohol recovery in the workplace, talking about sobriety, and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. And our friends at Sober Link want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, use Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer device that uses facial recognition technology to verify your identity. It has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends results directly to your specified contacts, so there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. 
Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash dopey. Before we get to the actual show, I want to tell you guys about another show, a great recovery podcast called Recovery in the Middle Ages, a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including 12-step, the newest medical research, and talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew, what would they do? Who knows? If you want to know more about what it's like to be a middle-aged recovering man, check out Recovery in the Middle Ages on all podcast apps and middleagesrecovery.com. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I am at my father's apartment. I am in my childhood bedroom, which is now his office, which I find to be a really nice place to record the show. It is early in the morning and I feel pretty good. Before I say anything else, I need to announce that we broke 11 million downloads this week. So I feel very good about that. I wanted to share it with you guys. Good. My uh, couch to 5K was derailed when I got sick, but I started running a little bit again, and it was very interesting because I live, I would say it's a four-minute walk, maybe four-and-a-half-minute walk from our house to the Long Island Railroad, and I usually leave at a breezy 6.50 a.m. to catch the 6.57 a.m. Long Island Railroad train to Manhattan. So I think I left the house at 6.52, which I figured would be fine. And I look up and I see the, you know, the crossing gate has come down and the lights are flashing and I hear the ding, 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 ding. Now, before I started the Couch to 5K app, I should fucking advertise the Couch to 5K app. It's like, what the fuck am I doing? Anyway, before I, let's just say before I started running, training for my 5K. I would have just gone home and said, I'll catch them 7.35, but not this morning. Instead, I take off like a rocket, running. I knew I had two and a half minutes to make it to that train. And, and I swear to God, this just shows how out of shape I used to be. I couldn't run two and a half minutes straight back in the day. But now I know that I could run Five minutes straight or six minutes straight, thereabouts, jog. This morning, I run full speed, which is still very slow. Full speed to the train, make it, sit down, and it's all thanks to, they should pay me, but from couch to 5K. Really works. That's like a fucking other ad. You want to listen to the show, and now you get this bullshit, surreptitious ad that I don't even get paid for. But it felt good to make the run, to pull it off. And then also the conductors on the... I'm going to do an ad for the Long Island Railroad now. The conductors on the Long Island Railroad all of a sudden are nice to me. They let me sit in the seats they used to ban me from. They're nice, happy, happy to see me, jovial. Everything's turning around on, on, in, in good old Strong Island, New York. We have a very exciting show for you guys today. Jessica Kent, Jess Kent, 
YouTube sensation has been on hiatus for a minute, and we hear her harrowing and truthful, crazy story of trauma and addiction and family and all sorts of stuff. And my dad comes back to give me shit about Dopey Beef as well. We have an event coming up at the end of January with Hank Azaria and Ray Brown and me and maybe a comedian and maybe somebody telling Dopey stories and maybe pizza all happening on January 30th in Manhattan at 6 p.m. It is free. That's right. Free. Hold on. Free. Yay. So that's important to know. Also, I want to give big, big um, anniversary shout-outs. That's the new thing, anniversary shout-outs. First of all, Nicole, Dopey Nation, Dopey Patreon. Nicole just uh, came up on her 18 months. My sponsor, Garrett, just got 20 years. He doesn't listen, but fuck it. Let's celebrate Garrett for a second. And I got another one. I got a note from Brian, and Brian says his sober date is January 15th, and it will be one year off of pot, booze, blow, and kratom. So congratulations, Brian. And if you want your sober anniversary read on the show, let me know. Oh, Chrissy. Chrissy's been helping big time in Dopey Facebook land, Dopey Podcast Group. She's fucking putting in amazing work, and she just celebrated five years. So congratulations, Chrissy, and thank you for all your incredible work. All right, fantastic. If you want your anniversary read, send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. We're going to read a note from Emilio, but first I want to thank Dopey Patrons. Patreon is hitting a new stride. And we're doing, we're still doing Wednesday meetings without Sober Buddy. It's just dopey meetings. Wednesday morning, join Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Also, there's new videos on Patreon. My dad, fucking Ray, music. And maybe we're launching a new recovery program, a non-denominational recovery program, similar to the theory behind the alt-recovery movement without using the name. If you're a Dopey Nation person and you want to help the show, join Patreon. It would be fantastic. And we're selling beanies. $20 beanies, including shipping and stickers. They're posted on Instagram. All right. What's up, Dave? My name is Emilio and I'm 27 years old. I'm currently listening to the newest Dopey episode on my lunch break and I heard the part where you asked to hear from us about our possible participation in California Sober, Sober Curious, etc. I thought it would be a good opportunity to write in as I just celebrated five years of California sobriety from alcohol. Despite getting five years from my drug of choice, I still struggle with feeling feelings of imposter syndrome, and it has kept me getting back into the rooms for the past few years. I've been able to find a rhythm in my sobriety and found myself not really needing meetings as often, but I want to be active again and give back some of what I learned. A little over a year ago, I lost my little brother to fentanyl. He was 21. I feel as though my last big test in sobriety, I feel like that was my last big test in sobriety from the universe to see if I could handle something devastating without relapsing. Well, I passed the test, but I now find myself in a sort of gray area where I'm not very active in the sober community, but still not drinking. I guess my main concern is the fact that I use marijuana to keep myself from drinking and doing drugs, and I don't want to feel like I'm not doing 
putting in as much effort as everyone else in the program. It just doesn't seem fair. That's why I've been quietly listening to the Dopey podcast while contemplating getting back into the rooms. But until I do, your podcast has made me feel like I am still, in fact, part of this amazing community, and it's pushing me towards getting active again. Thanks for bringing us all together, man, no matter what sobriety looks for us. Much love, brother, from here in Orange County, California, and stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you, Emilio. I appreciate the note. Um, Some rooms, they're not going to take kindly to smoking weed. Others might. It's really none of their business. Where you are at in your recovery is where you are at in your recovery. You should check out our Wednesday meeting. You should check out the Dopey Nation Zooms. And I don't know. I mean, for me, it's all about you, you get out what you put in. And if you feel like you need to smoke weed, then you need to smoke weed. For me, when I gave up weed, it was a, it was another level in my recovery. I smoke pot like a total stoner, junkie, weed addict. If weed is good in your recovery, then do your thing. If weed isn't good in your recovery, then don't smoke weed. I like my abstinence-based recovery, but what we say at Dopey is let your freak flag fly. Do what is good for you, and the door is always open. And let, except fentanyl. Fentanyl will probably kill you. Do fentanyl if you want. Do coke if you want, do pills if you want, but there's a good chance that it will kill you, which we don't want. We don't want Dopey Nation people to die. And in other news, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's a new year. Don't you want to feel better about yourself this year? Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you're ready to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast too. Therapy helps find strength so you can ditch extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy has changed my life so much this year. It's made me deal with a lot of different things much more sanely. And if you haven't had crazy trauma, it doesn't mean that therapy isn't good for you. Therapy is good for everybody. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dopey. Man, I love therapy. I love growing as a person. You know what else I love? I love fucking dopey voicemails. And we have some dopey voicemails for you. So here is one. It is from Earl D. Here we go, Earl. Hey, Dave. This is Earl. Earl D. Braintree Mass. I just listened to episode 165 and heard a story from a guy named Al who um, essentially smoked a piece of his own shit thinking it might have been crack hilarious um reminded me of a quick story i wanted to share with you but meaning to send in a voice recording i'll keep it quick um i'll try i think it was five years ago 2018 i um it was my birthday in may a couple of my buddies got me a ticket to see snarky puppy in providence rhode island they're awesome by the way but i went um we took some acid some really good acid 
um, drank a ton of drinks at the bar, at the venue, um, and was so out of my mind, debilitatedly drunk and high on acid after the show. I had no idea what was going on. Um, ended up walking down the road to a place called Kennedy Plaza. If you're familiar with Providence, Kennedy Plaza is like the dregs of the city. It's like a really shitty bus stop, a lot of, um, you know, homeless vagrant folks and drug addicts waiting for buses and using drugs. Um, I was standing and I got the bright idea. I hadn't used really hard drugs. I know acid might be a hard drug to some people. To me, it is not. Um, I got the bright idea that I wanted to score some hard drugs that night. Like I said, I was completely impaired. Um, Ended up talking with some guy. Um, He showed me the bags of crack that he had. I was hoping to find some dope, but he had crack. So um, I was like, okay, great. But this fella proceeded to walk me to the 7-Eleven and essentially muscle me into taking out, I think it was two or $300 from my bank checking account. Um, yeah, under threat of a knife. The guy had a knife that he flashed at me as well. Um, so he basically forced me to buy crack from him. I don't know. I think he sold me four bags or something. It was maybe four fifties for 200. I, I don't even remember. I was so fucked up. Um, but anyway, I was all freaked out. I had the bags of crack. I didn't have a stem. I hadn't smoked crack in probably six, seven years at this point. Um, but I was like, okay, that could have been worse. Um, I didn't get stabbed. I got some crack. Yeah. It cost me a couple hundred dollars, but mission complete or so I thought. Um, anyway, phone ended up dying. I ended up like staggering around until I found a group of four unsuspecting middle-aged women standing outside of a restaurant and I approached them, told them my situation. I have kind of a baby face and rosy red cheeks. I don't look all that threatening. Little they know I'm a, a deviant drug addict, but apparently I put on a good act because one of these kind women said, oh yeah, I'm kind of driving up your way. I can drop you off. So she brought me home because my phone was dead. I couldn't do Uber or whatever. Um, I was out of my, you know, I was, I was fucked up. Um, so I got home and the bodega wasn't open to go buy a stem. So I fell asleep in a drunken mess. Um, and I woke up the next morning and it all seemed kind of like a dream. You know that recollection when you're on acid and you're like, wow, did that really happen? Holy shit, that could have been, that could have gone way worse. But then I was like, oh shit, I have crack. Oh my God, what the, f- what am I going to do now? I knew exactly what I was going to do. I walked over to the bodega. I bought a glass stem with a little fake rose in it, a little chunk of chore boy, um, you know, steel wool. I did the old burn the copper off the steel wool, rip off a chunk, shove in the stem, untied my crack, went to hit the crack, and it was wax or some kind of soap that had been pushed into little fake crack bags, which explains why the scumbag guy had to force me to buy the crack at knife point just 12 hours prior and why he muscled me into withdrawing 
couple hundred dollars out of my checking account. So that was the story of stupid, drunk, acid-head Earl trying to buy crack from a criminal on Kennedy Plaza, which turned out to be chunks of soap, and also getting a ride home from a nice woman that I didn't know. Um, yeah, loving, still loving Dopey. I'm some. I'm only 170 episodes in, 165. Um, I have a lot more to go and I'm I'm going to keep listening till I'm all the way caught up. But yeah, just wanted to give a voicemail. I've sent you guys a couple emails and whatnot which you've read. But we're getting close to 6 minutes and I know that's a little long for y'all, so I'm going to call this um a wrap. Stay strong dopey night nation and toodles for Christopher. Thank you Earl. Yes, stay strong dopey nation and toodles for Christopher. I think that's the first time anyone's ever said toodles for Christopher. Uh, I like fake crack story. I think I like the acid head story. I like the middle-aged women and the rosy cheeks. If you guys have a great drug story, send it in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Earl, I don't remember if I've sent you socks, but you you get socks. If you get an email or voicemail played on the show, you get socks. So Earl, let me know if I sent you any. And if you want more, let me know. Send me your address. Thank you for the email. I need to now say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you guys by our friends at Mountainside. Mountainside is a treatment center. Mountainside is the treatment center where I met Chris, where Dopey was born. If Dopey was born anywhere besides the Lower East Side of New York City, it was in Canaan, Connecticut at Mountainside. It was an incredible experience. We had a great time. We made friends. We had fun. We did spiritual stuff. In other news, Mountainside also has a full continuum of care, which includes detox, residential, long-term treatment, outpatient and recovery coaching programs. They have amazing family groups. They have an incredible holistic program. They do yoga, acupuncture, sound baths. They did the sound bath at DopeyCon. I did their sweat lodge in Canaan. They do art and music therapy. It is an amazing treatment center. If you're fucked up and you're willing to go to Canaan, Connecticut, I highly suggest going to Mountainside. They set up a special dopey website, which, you know, is very special. And it's mountainside.com slash dopey. They also set up a dopey hotline, which is 1-888-833-4922. So call them up if you need some help. They're good folks. You know what's making me fucking crazy is this jelly roll. Jelly Roll is this amazing artist who's in recovery. He's a really good dude. He's covered with face tattoos. Everybody wants him to come on Dopey. And they think by sending me clips of Jelly Roll or telling me that he should come on Dopey, that that will make him come on Dopey. It won't. What will make him come on Dopey is if you write fucking Jelly Roll. Go on Instagram and write Jelly Roll. Stop sending me shit about Jelly Roll. My mother-in-law is like... Oh, Dave, you should get Jelly Roll. He'd be really amazing. Everyone's like, you should get Jelly Roll. Help me get Jelly Roll. If you want Jelly Roll to come on Dopey, write Jelly Roll to come on Dopey. Andre from the last show just is the straw that broke the camel's back. He just texted me Jelly Roll's opening statement on C-SPAN about uh, addiction and recovery. And we love Jelly Roll. We'd love him to come on Dopey. But he's not coming. Just ask him. Maybe he'll come. You never know. All right, here's a note. Hey, Dave, I've been meaning to write in for a long time now, ever since I discovered your podcast right before the This American Life episode. I'm 38 now, 
afflicted since 16, and I can't tell you how much the work that you do has touched my life. I've been through the ringer and heard so much bullshit that I thought I would never be interested in recovery, but listening to your story and the many stories of your listeners and guests over the years has inspired me more than I ever thought possible. I'll get straight to the dopey shit. Where to begin? I'm an addict in the pharmacy business, so lots to choose from. Many years ago, you had a guest on, and, and last week, but many years ago, you had a guest on who worked in a pharmacy. I recall him emptying entire, entire bottles of Norco into a garbage bag. I think that was last week's episode, which made me laugh uh, when I heard it. I tried to be more discreet about it, but still got caught regardless. That got swept under the rug, and I moved on to the next pharmacy, which is where it got interesting. I knew I was in trouble when I walked in on my first day and saw the kilo of ketamine. I knew I was in trouble <laughs> when I realized their inventory system was basically non-existent. So I could basically steal with impunity. Oh, yeah. Did I mention I was left alone with no supervision? So, yeah, a perfect storm. By the end of the year-long run, I was making my own ketamine nasal sprays and just dosing constantly throughout my working day. I must have looked like a maniac. It's so embarrassing in retrospect. I had to speak with people on the phone often, and I'm amazed no one ever questioned calling into the pharmacy and speaking with someone as fucked up as me. This story is great, by the way. One day I took home a big-ass syringe and some powder ketamine to make an IM solution. Now, a normal person would measure their dose, but I am not a normal person. I was basically swimming in ketamine daily at that point and felt like I could handle whatever. I eyeballed a dose, jammed the syringe into my thigh, and let it rip. The last thing I remember was seeing clear liquid seeping out of the puncture wound. The syringe was still stuck in there. Oops, too much, I thought. Then I fell into a fractal universe and became an interdimensional being. Once that had begun to war off and I could walk again, I had to take my dogs out back to go pee. And who do I run into but my landlord? From this point of view, here comes this crazed tenant in his underwear, bursting and stumbling out of his apartment with two crazy dogs. I have to laugh in retrospect. It's two retrospects. Somehow I played it off, but damn, that was the point where I really took a look at myself and thought, is this who I really want to be? A lot has changed since then. I often listen to you talk about your wonderful daughter and what a joy she has brought to your life, and I would honestly be jealous to not have such a thing in my life, but now I do, and my daughter has been a huge factor in my extended sobriety these years. I've fallen off the wagon here and there, but I'm doing so much better than I used to be, and I'll take that progress. Thanks again for all the work you do, and fucking toodles for Chris. Eric, it's a great story, Eric. I love the uh, unlimited ketamine story the unlimited eye intramuscular ketamine story you get socks so send me your address and i will send you socks and again if you have a great dopey story send it in and now i want to thank diamond recovery for being a sponsor of dopey it's just such an amazing thing to have these different treatment facilities sponsoring the show diamond has a spot in Georgia, in Florida, and in California, their mission is to help addicts to get better. They have a really specialized facility in Florida for co-occurring mental health disorders. They really do a great job with young people. 
They have a hotline. It is 844-909-2525. Call it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just if you need a friendly ear or get some advice or whatever, they've got your back. Check them out at diamondrecovery.com. And we love Diamond Recovery. That story also reminded me of something horrible that happened to me. You know, I love my dog. I have a dog. Her name is Winnie. And I take Winnie to as many places as I can. I take Winnie. I took her running the other day on the soccer field where it says no dogs allowed. And I shouldn't do it, but I did it anyway. And Winnie's horrible at running with me. She, like, jumps on me when I run. She makes me crazy. I don't know how to discipline her. I just yell at her. She doesn't know why I'm yelling at her. It's horrible. I also take Winnie to the post office to do my dopey shipping. And people think Winnie is the most beautiful dog. She has one blue eye and one brown eye, and they're kind of flipped, and and everybody wants to fuck with her. And it's like, why do you want to fuck with my dog? And Winnie doesn't like people. Winnie barks at them. She jumps on them. She seems like she wants to kill them all. So we went to the post office, and some dude, I'm like, I'm like, listen, my dog doesn't like people. And, and he went, oh, the dogs love me. And he went, hello, baby. Everybody says that to the fucking dog. Hello, baby. It's like, leave my fucking dog alone. Anyway, Winnie barked and jumped on them, and now Winnie is permanently banned from the post office. Winnie's also banned from the hardware store. Some idiot at the hardware store did the hello, baby, and Winnie jumped on them. And I'm, I guess I'm just not a good dog owner. If anyone has any advice to how to make your dog not hate people, <laughs> I think she knows that I don't like people, so she's just following my lead. But I'm, I mean, I'm proud to have been banned from the hardware store and the post office, but I don't like going places without Winnie. Winnie's my trusty, my trusty sidekick. We have Jess Kent back on the show. Um, it was suggested by Selby, Hardcore Dope, to have Jess Kent on the show, and he was very, very smart. I, I contacted Jess. She has a crazy story. It's a sad story, but it has a, it has a happy ending. And Jess has always been an incredible friend to us, an incredible promoter of Dopey, and we love Jess as well. So before we get to Jess, I want to also say that this show is brought to you by Discover Recovery, which is out in Washington State. And I am so grateful for all the treatments, but Discover Recovery is owned by Chris Paulson, who was on the show, who everybody loved. And Chris Paulson is a straight shooter, and he knows that treating addicts with integrity is all he wants to do, and Discover Recovery is all about treating addicts with integrity. Not The addicts don't have to have integrity. Their treatment center has integrity. They are the best treatment center in the Pacific Northwest, which is a region that has historically been underserved. You throw a penny in the Pacific Northwest, you're going to hit a junkie. If you're a junkie in the Pacific Northwest, check out Discover Recovery or go to discoverrecovery.com. They have luxury accommodations. They have great therapists. They have a medical staff on site. They have two locations, and they do incredible work for a region that has been traditionally underserved. Thank you, Discover Recovery. Thank you, Chris Paulson. And here is Jessica Kent. But before I play Jess, I just need to say there is a trigger warning. In effect, there's a lot of fucking trauma, domestic violence, that kind of stuff in Jessica's story. So just be warned. And without further ado, here's the return of Jessica Kent. 
Yeah, um, it's been like two years since I gave an interview. And I'm really nervous. My anxiety is crazy. And I don't know what you're going to ask me. And I'm sweating. Well, my plan is first to welcome you back. It's good to see you. You know, we we fell off in, in the process mm -hmm. of everything, you know, happening. We talked a bit at the very middle of the of the insanity and i'm gonna let you lead i'm not gonna i'm not trying to do a jessica kent expose i'm trying to catch up with my friend jess kent and right. hear and hear what the fuck happened and whatever you yeah. want to share about it we want to know you know what i mean and and first i want to say welcome back to youtube creator extraordinaire fucking ted talker survivor prison advocate, fucking mother, and good person and friend of me and the show, Jess Kent. Welcome back. Thank you. And you always give the best intros. Thank you. Like, you like really make me sound way better than I am, and I appreciate that. No way. So where is the is the anxiety? Well, like, you know, people are making videos, like, exposing me and text messages, and there's a lot of drama, which is why I haven't given an interview in, like, two years. So I'm just like, what is Dave going to fucking ask me? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like, I'm just, I'm sweating. I want to know, the last time you were on the show, you just rocked some old school dopey stories. And we just did video of old school dopey stories of you like getting sick on a Greyhound bus and some dude hooking you up with, with heroin, which I enjoyed that story. Right. And before <laughs> that, you came out and told the world that you were smoking weed a little bit. And I, and we like yeah. that too. I and mean, you were the first guest. I think that we got into it with that and, and we didn't, you know, say that's wrong or you should be this or you should be that. And it's more like everybody needs to do what they need to do. And then watching you from afar, I saw your, you know, crisis in your relationship. And then we talked about it and I don't want to say anything that you said to me, not on Dopey. So whatever you want to share. And I know like you have such a close relationship with your community, with, with the people that watch you on YouTube and follow you on social media. And it gets a little weird because you get them so close. And then it's, did I ever tell you I once had a dream that I was scared the Dopey Nation was going to be like an aquarium full of tarantulas and escape one night. Like the Dopey Nation was a an aquarium full of tarantulas and one day they will escape the terrarium and kill me in my sleep. And uh, and that's kind of like what happens to you from time to time. I'm never going to forget that reference. Did you know that spiders can like, if they like got together, they could literally eat all humans? <laughs> well, there you go. Fucking terrifying. Um. Yeah, so... My life kind of took this like huge left turn. Um, I was planning a very beautiful, very expensive wedding, my dream wedding. Um, I had been with my ex. I call him Jed now. His name is Jed is his first name, Reese is his middle name, but I have to like, they're two different people in my mind. So um, I was planning this big wedding to who I thought I'd spend the rest of my life with, you know, and kind of the start of it was that I recognized was February of 2023, right? Sorry, February, 2022. Mm -hmm. 
And I was just, you know, we both worked 60 plus hours a week. I mean, two kids, we're just like, like passing each other, you know, like in the house and it was just busy, but I'll never forget it. I was cooking dinner and he walked in with a six pack and he, you know, for a few years would have a beer or two at the end of the day, never was anything crazy. Um, so I didn't think anything of it at first, but I, he walked by me and I smelled liquor, which, you know, he had he didn't just have a few beers here and there at the end of the day. Like he would drink, but it wasn't in excess. It wasn't something that I thought was a huge red flag, but the fact that he had just driven home. And I was like, if you have a six pack in your hand and you smell like liquor, something's off. So immediately that like made me notice. And I looked over and I thought, is he high? As soon as I thought that I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Of course he's not high. Like, why would you even think that? And I literally like gaslit myself. And I'm like, of course he's not fucking high. And I went back to doing what I was doing. And I felt bad for even thinking that. But that was my gut. Like, my gut was like, nope, something's wrong. And it happened to be date night. So, you know, we leave and we go to this restaurant, maybe five minutes from the house. And as soon as we get there, he spends 25 minutes in the bathroom. And Dave, I was like, literally almost in tears at that table because I'm like, I know something's wrong. I know something's wrong. Like, and it was just you knew exactly was what was happening, but he all and just to make it clear, he wasn't like an alcoholic in recovery, right? He was not he was he was always yeah. respectful of your journey, but like he his sobriety was never a thing. Like he wasn't meant to be um in recovery, but he had had a history, right? Right. So I was absent for like seven years. Uh, and when I had met Reese, he was maybe like six months sober. I was like two and change sober. Uh, and he had told me stories that, you know, his, his DOC is meth and alcohol was always paired with that. But, you know, after so many years, like I didn't think anything of it. Um, he drank for, you know, probably three or four years, very responsibly, never drinking. He didn't drink a drive. He, you know, he was very okay with it. I would have a drink once a year at dinner on vacation or something after seven years of abstinence. And it was just, it was okay. Um, so, you know, we're, we're at this restaurant and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I, what, what the fuck do I do? And I didn't say anything to him. We go home. Um, I, I put our girls to bed and I went to bed cause I just didn't know what to say. I just had to go to sleep because I was, I just shut down, you know? And I woke up the next morning, he's not next to me. And I'm like, where the fuck is he? So I'm looking around the house and he had fallen asleep in our garage. Mm. Uh, we had like a futon in the garage and he just fell asleep in there. And I opened the garage door and I'm like, this is, this is the beginning of like a hard situation, you know? But I, I tried to tell myself like, it's a slip. It's just a slip. So, um, you know, I, I tried to like convince myself it was just a bad weekend. It was like a slip, like it's totally fine. Everything's going to be okay. And, um, I, I confronted him about it and he got pretty aggressive. How did you confront him? Not the best way looking back, but I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Why did you sleep out here? Cause I'm scared, you know? So like it's coming out in anger. It's coming out in fear or my fear is coming out in anger and he's like, what? So we kind of get into a fight about it. And um, I don't even really remember. I have to keep a timeline of everything because I don't really remember. I don't know if he had immediately left for like a couple of days or what have you. But all throughout 2022, 
he would come home for a couple of weeks. I'd help him detox or he would try to drink and drive and I would steal his keys from him. He got very violent with me. Was he, when did, when did you find out that he needed to detox anything? When did he take ownership of what he was using and, and how did he, did he like break down, like needing to spill his guts? Like how did, how did it all come out? You know, like, again, it's such a maze in my mind and I have to keep notes of it, but he, um, he tried to play it off. Like he just fell asleep drunk outside. Um, and there was like a moment where I was kind of going through his stuff and I had found Coke in like a pocket or something in his clothes and I, um, confronted him and he took off and I didn't see him. Did it fuck you up when you saw the Coke? Yeah. Like it, I was just, I don't even know how to describe how I felt. Like I felt betrayed. I felt terrified. I was mad. Um, you know, he had, he had just around that time quit his job and I was so proud of him for that because he was miserable. And I'm like, we're going to figure it the fuck out. You know, like I got us, I make, you know, good money and I can pay the bills. And, and I was proud of him because he had took that leap, you know, to say and recognize I'm not happy here. Let me do something else. And we celebrated that. And shortly after that is when all of that happened. And it was just, you know, an entire year of me going through his shit taking his car keys so he didn't drink and drive, throwing away tons of cocaine. And that was just re-triggering to me, you know, because not like, not, I didn't want to get high, but I was like, this is a lot of money, you know? So like the drug dealer instinct is like, what do I do? Throw it the fuck out. What is wrong with you? Like, so I would have these like fights with myself and I would, you know, get rid of it. That would make him very mad. Um, How would he react if you threw away his coke? A lot of times he wouldn't even like get into it with me. So um, he, he was kind of passive aggressive until it got like super, super bad. But there was this one instance where I he was staying in the guest room because we were fighting so bad um, and he got in the shower and I'm like, OK, I know he's detoxing. Let me clean his room, give him new sheets and clean everything up. Um, I was like kind of sinking in there sometimes and sleeping on the couch in that room because I was afraid for him. Oh wait. Oh my God. I remember how, I remember how this all came out. He, this, my brain is ridiculous. He had gone to the doctor for medication for his PTSD and they put him on Zoloft. I think it was. And then he just stopped taking it. And he was like, I fucked up. I just stopped taking it. And I'm like, I told you, you can't do that. You have to wean yourself off SSRI medication. He's like, I know. And my mom said that too. And like, I just did this anyway. And I'm like, okay, what do you need? I got you. Like, we can go to the doctor. Like, what do we have to do? So he he tried to play it off. But like, it was just that. And somewhere in there, I found the, the Coke. Um, but like, if I was like cleaning that room, Um, and I would find something like there was one instance that I remember really clearly, I'm rushing to clean this room for him, pick up Gatorade bottles and food and change the sheets and do all this stuff. He had a, a picture with a line of Coke and a hundred dollar bill rolled up. So I'm like, "Hmm, that's my tip. hundred dollar bill Windex, like peace. And I set everything back up and I run upstairs before he gets out of the shower. I'm like, I'm shaking cleaning this room. Like I'm already scared that he's going to be so mad at me. And five minutes later, he's like, hey, had a hundred dollar bill down here. Have you seen it? Mm. And I'm like, if you want to talk about treatment options, got you. I've already called some people. The VA is kind of slow. Um, it's going to cost 10000 for a medical detox, but I'll put that money up. Just you let me know. And I'm here. 
And he's like, where's my fucking hundred dollar bill? I'm like, Reese, if you want to talk about treatment, then I would love to talk to you about that. And I just kind of like blew that off, you know? Um, but it was always like these roundabout ways of saying like, I know you took my shit. Where is it? And how did, what happened after that? Like, wh- how are you guys after he's using and you're kind of just, you know, you don't want to confront him. You don't want him to leave. You're, you're co-parenting. You're engaged because you had been in a relationship where you guys were like super busy. It's almost like, let's just keep things okay because I don't want to blow this thing up. But every sign is, is flashing at you and, and, Things like that, where's my fucking $100 bill? And you're like, why don't we go to treatment? Like, how does that conversation get resolved? It doesn't. It, so it doesn't. And like, and we really never resolved anything. Um, so it was, you know, a couple of months had gone by and I'm still actively planning this wedding. So the first thing I did was postpone it because I'm like, minimum, he needs, you know, 60 or 90 days of rehab or something. So bare minimum, I'm going to postpone the wedding. And then it just didn't get better and it didn't get better. So he would leave for a week or two. One time he had left for like almost a month and he started a new job. And, um, finally he's like, I need you to come pick me up. I need help. And I'm like, I'll get my keys, (laughs) you know? And I tried really hard to just love him through that. You know, like I would detox with him at hotels and have a babysitter so that my kids didn't see him detoxing. Um, and it it was just crazy. So he'd come home for a couple of weeks, maybe two or three, and things would be okay. But they were only okay because I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't bringing it up. I wasn't being like, hey, can we talk about all the stuff that you did and I did and, and how I, we both reacted? Like, can we please talk about this? Well, I've learned um, through trial and error and my own traumas being like brought out that there is never a good time to have a conversation with a narcissist which I truly believe that he is. So anytime I would bring it up, he's like, here you fucking go again. Like I've only been home for two weeks. You want to fucking fight all over again. I'm like, I literally am not screaming at you. I just want to talk about this because I'm not okay. And I had kind of looked to him to help me be okay when that was just the wrong answer. You know, I needed a lot of reassurance. Like, are you okay? Are we okay? Can we talk about this fight or that fight? Like we have 2000 fights on record that we haven't even discussed. And I have to just, this is kind of what I said to him so many times. You want me to silently and submissively eat shit with a fork and knife and pretend that I'm okay when I'm not, pretend that you're okay when you're not. And we're supposed to do this happy little fucking dance. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sit here and politely eat shit. We have to fix this. And I was, you know, I was in therapy. I was trying to drag him to marriage counseling, couples counseling, it was just brutal. So October, I think it was 17th of 2022. God, it seems like yeah. yesterday, but right. it was so long ago. It's both. It's yesterday and it's so long ago. Yeah. God damn. Um, so yeah, October 17th of 2022, I, uh, I left. I packed as much as I could, put everything I could in storage while my girls were in school. And I got a hotel and I lived in a hotel for two months until I bought my house. And it was just, it was the hardest decision that I ever made, but it had gotten just violent and chaotic and scary. And I I realized that I'm no longer safe. My girls are no longer safe. We have to leave. And it was just the hardest thing I ever did. So did you pick them up from school and take them to the hotel? Yeah. And what did he do? 
I don't even think he noticed for a day or two. What was his bender like at that point? Is he smoking it? Is he shooting it? Is he snorting it? You don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know. Um, all I know is that like, I, I think I seen some text about meth mm. and um, I kind of knew where he was getting it from. And I saw some texts about that and I'm like, that's crazy. Like, I don't know if I am throwing away meth or from throwing away Coke. And then I'm like, how far into retirement am I? <laughs> Cause I was just, my anxiety is so through the roof that I'm just rushing to throw this shit away. I don't even know what I'm throwing away, but yeah, I, I think that he was snorting it primarily. And then sometimes he would smoke. And did you ever deal with this side of him before? No, no. Like he was never violent towards me before. Um, he'd be passive aggressive and emotionally abusive, which I didn't recognize because it was so subtle. Like he is so covert and so smart and so like, I don't even know, like he, he's great and charming and like all of these things. And once I took a step back and I had been gone for a long time, I recognized the financial control, the emotional abuse, the lies, the manipulation. And I was like, how the fuck did I not see this before? And it was crazy. But in terms of like domestic violence, he wasn't violent towards me before the relapse. It's also like you're this pretty well-known heroin addict, drug addict, criminal drug dealer, magazine saleswoman, prison, you know, felon, all these things. Right. She he I mean, like to the tune of you go to YouTube and you can see a lot of nefarious stories looking back. And meanwhile, and I'm not trying to throw Reese under the bus. I'm just trying to understand like this dynamic because meanwhile, he has like a serious drug problem. Does he talk about his drug problem to you in the past and how it's been since he got better? Like, was that a part of it? Yeah, we we talked about it a lot, actually. And we filmed several videos on YouTube where he talks about having a meth lab in a casino mm. and doing all of these crazy things. And, you know, just like for me, it's so it was so far ago that it was like, there's no way I was ever that person. There's no way he was ever that person. And it kind of just the Reese that he always told me about that was just a fictional character at that point to me because I had never seen it before. And, um, you know, he, he seemed just so like, not, we're all strong, but like, he seemed so clear and so disciplined and so motivated for all of these goals that we set out every single year. And, you know, if one person has, I've never met someone that has the most, has more discipline than race because he's up at four 30, he's in the gym. I mean, he's so dedicated to that and working so hard and like, Never in my mind, and this is probably stupid to say, I never saw a relapse happening on his side of the fence. Never in a million years. I'm like, if, if one of the two of us is going to relapse, it's definitely going to be me. Like, I'm going to fucking burn this down. It's going to be me to fuck up. Like, I'm the fuck up. I'm the felon. I was so horrible. Never did I think it would be him. Never. And it was him. And he had a total shift in his total personality and was gone, basically, till you had to actually physically remove yourself and your daughters from the apartment, the house. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, I've, I've spent a lot of time in like trauma therapy and, and uh, I have two therapists, one to coddle me cause I need it. Um, and one that's like, bitch, no, <laughs> no, no, no. So I, um, I've learned that 
the substances made it very difficult for him to hold up that mask of like the perfect guy and like all this stuff, you know, and he has serious mental health issues. I have serious mental health issues. And, um, if, if you're getting high all the time, you can't be that charismatic. Everyone loves me kind of person that puts on this great show. You're going to start to see like the, the really bad parts of us when we're using the worst parts of us, you know, and now that I have seen that, I can't unsee it, you know, and throughout my like craziness, cause I'm like, if I just get receipts, he'll tell me the truth. I, I had, you know, my mental health had taken just this horrible turn. Um, but I was going through phone records and I had never looked before phone records, bank statements, um, toll bills, credit card bills. And for the first time I was like, this motherfucker, like he has a whole separate life. I don't even know who this person is. And like, it was just trauma after trauma after trauma. And, you know, I'm not perfect in that. I definitely reacted horribly to a lot of it. And looking back, I wish I made so many other decisions, but you know, it, it was just fucking hard. It was just really fucking hard. How, how do you feel like, what do you wish you had done differently? I wish I left sooner. You know, I wish I asked questions. I wish I, um, you didn't want to lose what you had. You didn't want to lose what you had. You, you, you had the fantasy of this family and also it's this public family and everyone's in on this perfect story. And then the story starts breaking down and, and then you kind of went dark too, right? You were like, I need to take a minute. How did you even explain that to the, to the people? Well, see, like I wasn't allowed to take a minute um, because I'm, I am struggling with my mental health. I am in, you know, trauma therapy and I'm trying to recover, but I wasn't given a break. Reese was, Reese was trying to leak things. He had um, moved someone that I had kicked out of my house into his house and was sleeping with one of my friends and like causing so much chaos and people were leaking things online saying that I was using, saying that I was the abuser, that I'm a piece of shit. Like they, they turned on me. And, um, it's like, not only am I going through this hard shit in my personal life that is just so traumatic, it's going to take me years to fucking mentally and like physically recover from it. But now the entire internet, not the entire internet, a huge little corner, your corner of the internet. My corner of the internet was like, They were just so mad at me for leaving. And I think a part of it is because some of them were probably mourning with me because they had seen, you know, this perfect life and this great success story and they're mad and they're hurting too. And they're like, how could you do this to him? How could you expose this? How could you talk about this? Like, how dare you? Um, And it was just, yeah, I didn't even get a chance to take a break. Like, I still feel like I'm still processing all of it. Well, you're, you are, and you're also processing it as part of your work and your art and, and your, you know, your, your weird public recovery, like my weird public recovery, I can relate, you know what I mean? Like it's not that far out to me. And then, I mean, I, I, what, what's most important is doing all the good stuff for you so that the, the worst shit gets diluted in the good stuff. Um, when you took the kids out, what did he do? eventually, like I said, he, he didn't notice for like a day or two, I think. Um, but eventually he started to, um, he just, he got kind of scary. So he, uh, he found the hotel that we were at Mm. and he had kind of stalked me and used people that we knew to stalk me. And, um, 
you know, I was, I really wanted us to still be together and I wanted everything to work out. So there was, you know, one moment where, um, it's probably like nine or 10 o'clock at night. The kids are still up. It's a Friday night. We're playing board games and making s'mores. And I tried to make it as fun as I could for them. Um, and the hotel calls me and they're like, someone named Reese is here. And I said out loud, I'm like, Reese is here. And they heard me and they're like, daddy's here. And I'm like, fuck, you know? And I'm like, okay, can you come up? I'm like, sure, sure you can. And I'm like, what do I do? Cause I don't want to tell them, no, you can't see your dad. And I'm just like frozen. He comes in the room. He's obviously not sober. Uh, and how could you tell, how could you tell how non-sober he was? He moves really weird when he's been up for a few days and like he just kind of does this weird like move like body movement walking strangeness and he's looking all around the room as if he expected like someone else to be there because I think he had a hard time thinking like I didn't I didn't leave him to be with someone else I left him because I had to leave him you know like he's the problem this is no one else's fault no one else is here but he ended up getting the adjoining room next door to us Mm. and he was there for two days We kind of got into it a little bit, like a little spat, and he took off. And I think the next day or maybe the day after, I realized he had had a hidden camera in my room. And I'm like, this is crazy. And shortly after that, I I was at the house filming regular content as if everything's fine, editing that content, still doing interviews, and packing up as much as I could. He had called our babysitter and asked. I, I was there during the weekend. So he called our babysitter and asked, can you stay overnight? We want to have dinner and talk about everything and try to work it out. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not staying overnight. You don't have to stay. I'll be back. And he's like, no, she's going to stay overnight. And I'm like, fuck, oh, fuck. So I was terrified. I have most of this like on our on our living room security camera. And it's so scary watching it, watching how he was when I wasn't in the room. But I've been packing all day. and I'm like, I'm just going to take a shower in my mind. I'm like, then I'm going to leave. I took a shower and it was like the worst night ever. He, um, I was naked, my underwear on, but all I had on was underwear. And he grabbed me and put me in our bathroom counter and took my head and smashed it into the counter and choked me to the point where I couldn't breathe. And I literally thought I was going to die. And I'm like, I'm panicked because I can't breathe and I can't breathe. And I can't, like, I'm, this is it is what I'm thinking, you know? And I look at him in the eye and I think this is probably the only thing that like saved me but I make eye contact with him and he lets go. And I'm like, and now I'm like crying, terrified. And then he's, he's whispering to me and I'm like scream crying basically. Cause I'm like so fucking freaked out. And he like, he, he's whispering weird shit. Like I usually start with the toes, you know, and he's like, what's the passcode to your phone? I can't even think about the passcode to my phone, but after like what felt like forever, I've said like, in police reports, 20 or 30 minutes, but I'm not sure how long he, um, like it hits me. I'm like, just give him the fucking passcode, you know? So I tell him the passcode, which had always, it's been the same thing forever. I give it to him. He opens my phone and he's distracted and I get up and I just grab my clothes, which I had been crying about forever. I'm like, just let me get my clothes. Just let me get my clothes. Um, and I grab my clothes. I get dressed. I run downstairs. I start to grab as much stuff as I could because I promised Mike I would get her squishmallows. So I'm like, get the squishmallows, get this. I grab this bag and I try to leave and he won't let me leave. And he 
drove like he he took he got in the car i'm like loading up stuff he helped me with one of the bags and then he drove all around our suburb now the hotel's five minutes away and he's driving all around and i'm like he's gonna fucking kill me and i'm like i just want to get home with the girls i just want to go to the girls and then he's like of course we're gonna go home with the girls what's wrong what's the matter with you everything's fine have you been drinking today like we're good of course we're gonna go see the girls i'm like we are not gonna see the girls like just please take me back to the girls please and he was acting and, um, like he hadn't attacked you, like that had hadn't happened. And maybe up until that moment, had you had some hope that maybe things could somehow get better? Like that seems yeah. like the worst, scariest, most horrible moment that I could ever imagine. And I'm sorry, like you had to go through it and I see you and like, man, like what a terrifying thing. Yeah, he he tries to hug me even before we leave, and he's like, "Just calm down, Shh, everything's fine." Do you and think like, he knew what he? Do you think he knew what he did, or he's just so? Yeah. You do, you do. Like I've seen him where he's like, I, I think he was coherent, because I've seen him where I don't. I'm like, he's black the fuck out, probably. Like this, I'm like, hello, are you in there? I can tell like a difference. Like he wasn't slurring his words. When he's super, super drunk or super tired, he gets more country sounding because he can't like, like put it fake on the. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he gets more Southern and whatever. But he was very clear, very articulate, not slurring anything, not country sounding like he he knew what he did. And um, we go up to the hotel room. Now, the hotel people, they know something's off. And they, you know, would come up to me a couple of days after this and just ask me, like, do you want us to ban dude? Like, it's whatever. But he came up to the hotel room and he's like, you have to get me an Uber. I have to come inside. I don't have my phone or anything. You have to Uber me home. And I'm like, like, I'm like, okay, what the fuck is he going to do now? So he makes me go upstairs to the hotel room where the babysitter and our, our kids are. And he acts completely fine. I'm pale. Like, I'm paler than usual obviously I've been crying and I'm trying to put on a face, you know, like for the kids and our babysitter who's not just our babysitter, a very good friend of mine. She looks at me and she's like, I'm like, mm-hmm. fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And she's like, uh, everything's not fine. I wanted so bad to be like, just call 911, like call the cops. Like I have to report this, but I didn't want the kids to know. So I just didn't say anything for like two weeks and then a, a good friend of mine, JD, and his wife, Jax, they told me, like, you don't have to press charges, but you it's have really to make a record to... of it. Right. It's important that it's documented because if he takes you to family court and that's the first time you bring up any kind of abuse, then they're not going to believe you or they're not going to take it seriously that you're not safe. But you're not safe and you have to have a record of it. And I was just terrified to do that. So um, the cop that took that report, amazing officer. I've never met a more patient, more educated person in domestic violence as that man. And um, he had actually recognized me for an incident a month prior where Reese called the cops on me because I was trying to pack my stuff. And, you know, that cop had said to me that day, he's like, Miss Kent, I was really hoping that I didn't see you again, but I'm glad you're here. And whatever brought you in, I'm sorry. Let's go into this room and let's talk about your options. And he had said that um, if I was still living in the house, he would go above me and what I want. And he would press charges for felony domestic battery um, or felony assault. I don't know which is higher. One's a misdemeanor. One's 
a felony. I don't know. Um, but it it would have been a felony. And I told him, no, that's okay. I'm glad I'm out and no charges are being pressed. But it was just fucking horrible. You know, and it, after I left, his aggression was worse. He got more violent towards me, more aggressive towards me, more narcissistic, scarier. Like the abuse shifted, you know, and it it just got way harder. When did you see him after you left? I saw him at the hotel a few times and I saw him, you know, pretty regularly at the house when I was trying to pack my things and film and work and everything. And what was his relationship like with the girls at that point? Nothing. Like, I wouldn't really allow him to come around the girls. Um, I told him 30 days sober, uh, 30 days sober and in therapy and you can see the kids. I told him he could call. That would be totally fine. You can call whenever you want to call. But as of right now, I don't want you like physically here. And that was a boundary that he just, he wouldn't respect. And there was just so many ups and downs. We even went to like Thanksgiving last year in our, well, you know, the year before. We drove down to Arkansas for Thanksgiving and um, he kind of did the same shit held all of us in that room, me and the kids, and he was going through the kids' tablets, every electronic device, like really paranoid and like really crazy and scary. And I flew home. It cost me like $5,000 to fly home, like last second with me and my kids. And I fly home thinking like, okay, he's still going to be in Arkansas because he drove his truck down. He's going to drive up. I can beat him there and I can just pick up my car from the house and I could move into this house that I'm in currently because I had closed right before that. I got back here and I didn't have keys. Mm. I didn't have keys to my car. I didn't have keys to the house, my house or his house, either house. He took everything. And the felon in me is like, man, this bitch, I can pick locks. Like, fuck him. I don't care. Then I'm like, no, no, no. Do it the right way. Get a locksmith. Like, you can't just break into places. And But the part of me that, like, didn't care, I'm like, fuck this. I can pick that lock and I can break in. And I'm like, no, just pay the $175 to get the fucking locksmith to come out. Do everything and by the book. Do everything by the yeah. book so that you have, you keep your integrity. Because if you're breaking right. in. And, right. And he can say that like, because he's the only person on the deed. I had residency there. Um, like everything was in his name. Like I made over $300,000 that year. He made half of that. And I didn't own anything. I didn't own my cell phone technically. Like, even though I paid like cash to him, he owned every single thing. He could take everything, my house, my car, my phone. I mean, it was just crazy. So yeah, I, I had to do everything by the book and be very careful. I had to get a rental car. Couldn't just break into my Jeep. Like I, you know, I had to do it that way. Couldn't break into the house, even the house that I own. Cause I don't want a neighbor being like, oh, there's this tatted felon breaking into this house over here. Like, um, <laughs> So, yeah, it just cost me more money and more time and more stress and it was chaos. And there was never a point in that whole period that he said, Jess, I have a problem. I need help. Uh, I'm going to get better. I'm going to I'm going to fix this. Nothing like that. Or did he finally? There was so there were so many times like that, um, you know, he because he would detox and be good for a week or two. And he'd, he'd be he would seem very genuine and very apologetic. And I'm like, oh, this is the moment. Like we got this, you know? And I would just have so much hope. Right. I would just find all kinds of shit, like cash app receipts from, I've never said this on any video, um, cash app receipts and phone records of escorts. And I'm like, this is 
crazy. Like I was just fucking devastated when I actually saw all of it. And I'm like, not only are you getting high, but you're fucking cheating on me too with like 10 people a week. This is awesome. I want to die. It was just fucking brutal. So yeah, he had moments where he's like, I, you know, I, I want to go to rehab. I need treatment. I'm hallucinating. Please help me. Please come over here. Like I was driving all around Chicago. Like he's like, oh, I'm in Rosemont. Oh, I'm in fucking Oakbrook. I'm like driving all around at these random fancy hotels. I'm at Trump Tower. I'm at fucking Langham, like all these really expensive spots. And I would have to go there and pick him up or I'd have to pick up his car, or send, you know, a mutual friend at the time, send him over there to get his fucking car. Like it was so insane. And throughout that whole time, I was like, okay, that's courts. That's bad. His life matters more than your feelings. Shut the fuck up and get him into rehab. You know, because I had mentally checked out, like I'm done. I'm good. I canceled the wedding officially, whatever his life matters more. And I was just sacrificing my own mental health, my own peace, my own sanity, my own integrity, my own boundaries over and over and over and over again to try to like drag his ass into treatment. Like I felt like it was my job. This is so random. My ADHD sucks, but Brandon <coughs> Novak told me when I first fucking started this whole crazy YouTube shit, he's like, I think I asked him about BAM and he said something to me and I'm like, whatever, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. Um, he was right. He's like, I can help strangers find recovery and I can be there for them and mentor them. And it is such a different dynamic when it's your loved one. I can't help people that I know and my loved ones and my friends, my family. I just can't. It's always a stranger that's going to hear it more. They're going to take it to heart. And, you know, you can't help your family and friends in the same capacity. Someone else has to do that. You have to remove your own feelings and your own anger or resentment out of the equation so that they can separate and get help. And I just didn't want to believe that. You know, and I'm like, we can do it together. We had to separate. Absolutely. But I just couldn't, I didn't want to accept that. And now it's come full circle where I've had people like Brandon tell me that. And at the time I brushed it off and it's like, oh, okay, that checks out actually. But it's also, did, did Reese ever really show full surrender? Did he actually check in? Did he get a month? Did he, did he put the footwork in to get better? No. I mean, I, I, I think, I think at some point, you know, and, and, and how well I know you, I, I would imagine when, once he does that to you in the bathroom, I think, I'll, you know, you want, you want your daughters to have a father, but you can't be assaulted by, by that person. You can't be in a relationship like that. It's horrible, Jess. And, and I, I mean, I, I've, I've always been on the sidelines texting you, Hey, what's going on? What's going on? And that's, a, and, and like, and I know like, if I could be of any use to you, you would have called me. And I know that, uh, you were going through it. And, and when you got the new house, was he supposed to be in that house? Was that the plan or the new house was the emergency plan? It was, we're not getting married and we need, I need a place to go. Yeah. So the new house was supposed to be our safe place. Um, and it was just going to be like a fresh start. And I was going to do all of the things like I'll paint every room black if I want to, because I'm Wednesday Adams at heart. And like, it's going to be like so dope and weird and custom and quirky and like all those things. And I, I fucked up along the way. You know, I, I let people, other people 
disrespect those boundaries. I, you know, wasn't perfect in it. And, you know, Reese had come here a couple of different times and he was trying to steal my Jeep because it was in his name. Right. And I'm like, I can't buy a car right this second. You have a vehicle. I pay the payments. You've never paid a dollar for this Jeep. Like I have our kids. You can't take the car. Like it's my fucking car. You like, you've never paid a dollar for it. Um, you might've filled, it filled up with gas a time or two, but like, you know, so I'm like, I just bought this house. Now he's taking my car. He's trying to take my car all the time. I have to hide it in the fucking garage. Um, and it's just more chaos. Right. So I had to get an order of protection because he just wouldn't stop. And in that order of protection, I was able to protect my vehicle because the judge was awesome. He was like, you've paid all the payments and he's looking at it. He's like, he has a vehicle. And I'm like, yes, this is his 2021 Dodge Ram. Like this is his, the uh, 2021 Jeep. That's mine. Here's all the payments or whatever. And he goes, no, this is, that checks out. You have the kids. Like he can't have that car. You know, I, I had to buy another vehicle. Cause I'm like, I can't keep fighting with him about this. This is ridiculous. And now fast forward, I gave him back the Jeep, lost that, which cost me tons of money. And I'm so mad about it still. I loved that car. But, uh, now fast forward, we're in family court. It's costing a lot of money. And I've been in family court with him for like a year or so. Still have no clue what he wants. Not a fucking clue. And it's so stupid. And this house that was supposed to be the safe space. I have a lot of bad memories here. And in the next two weeks, I am putting it on the market and I am moving. And when you started, when you first made the report to, um, whoever the police or child protective services or whoever, who, who do you make the report to for what the first assault when, when your friends were like, you need to make a report for this. Uh, that was just local law enforcement. Right. So after that, like, how does he respond to the fact that it is official, like that this is what's happening. And, and when does he accept that, it's not going to be you and him together. This family is not going to happen. Like last month, probably. Oh, my God. So you had like 20 months of hell. You know, and it wasn't like I, I am to blame in a lot of different scenarios. You know, I I was talking to him about getting back together with him, you know, after I had left. And I, I did go back. I went back a couple of times, actually. With the kids and or just you? With the kids. Um, some, sometimes without the kids, you know, but I, I had tried so many times to go back with them where we'd be there for a few days and I would be like, nope, mm -mm, nope, we're good. How bad did it get when you'd go back? He would just go through my things or gaslight me about anything that happened. So that's why I started having to keep a record of everything. After the first time he assaulted me, he assaulted me. Actually, November wasn't the first time. That was just the most serious, but throughout the relapse. So the past two years. He's assaulted me probably like six or seven times and only like three of those were reported. Um, there were times where he threw me across a room or he would just grab me and like push me or choke me or just do random shit like that to me. He's and also a huge, he's a huge person. He's like a gigantic yeah. person, like big muscly guy. Right. And you are um, presumably a littler person. I am, I am small. He's like 250. I'm like 115, um, bodybuilder. You know, he's, he's a big guy. 
there it was just so many fucking things but like I'm like this can get better it can get better and he would just convince me that it would and I went back to him a few times and the last time that he put his hands on me was in March and it that was in front of our girls and I pressed charges on him for that and he pled guilty to assault and he got away with it he also got away with aggravated assault, two counts of aggravated assault in Arkansas, unlawful discharge of a firearm in possession of Schedule 3, which is which is steroids. So all of it he got away with. And the, the Arkansas shit is felonies that he got away with. And the Illinois assault on me was a misdemeanor that he also got away with. So What happened in front of the kids? He grabbed me. He was gaslighting me about something. And I was like showing him my phone. So I'm like... Actually, see this text here and this, and I'm like scrolling. I'm like, that's not how that happened. And I'm like, you know, like I I know what I said. I was there when I said it. So he gets kind of mad at me and grabs my phone. And as he's like going to grab it, I lock it really quick. And he stands up. I'm like, just give me my phone. Because at that point, I know this probably doesn't even make any sense. I'm all over the place. No, it does. At that point. Things were kind of okay. I was going over to his house after school. We filmed a video in March that I have shown on YouTube. And the kids are going to the house after school and jumping on a trampoline. And like, I'm like, okay, we got this. We can fucking co-parent. Like everything's fine. I, I wish I knew then to just like not react, just gray rock, you know, like play dead and just let him say whatever he wants. Don't call him out on his lies. Just be like, mm-hmm, cool. Yep. Sounds good. Okay. Because when you react, then they act crazy. So I should have just shut the fuck up, you know, because what difference does it make if he is honest or accountable anyway? Like, I'm gone. But, you know, I just have these moments where I'm like, fuck you, dude. That's not how that happened, which is not the right. But you had to do it because that's who you are. Right. You had to do that. You couldn't you 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 didn't know maybe how dangerous the situation was either. You know, like so you responded the way you you would have responded to somebody that you could deal with, not to somebody that could assault you. Uh, in that situation. And I don't think that I cared if he, you know, was going to hurt me either. You know, like I, it doesn't matter if I'm sick. It doesn't matter if I'm sad. It doesn't matter if I'm going through something. I have two kids. I have to get my ass up every day at 6 a.m. and do all of this for them. So I need to get the fuck over it, rub some dirt on it, and I can cry at 10 p.m. when they're asleep. (laughs) You know, like I don't have time for um, any of this. And I just... Fear went out the window when I am being gaslit for four hours straight about something I know for fact is not true. So I just snapped. And in those moments, I didn't care. And I think like, I think a lot of people don't understand this about domestic violence is that, first of all, it's very hard to tell from the outside looking in who is the abuser and who is the abused, because there is something called reactive abuse. And a lot of the times when you're in a situation like this, and you've, you've dealt with a narcissist for so long, you have a moment where you just want to fight back. You want to just say, no more. I don't care. I'm not doing this anymore. And if you throw something at them, yell at them, swear at them, call them out their name, hit them, punch them, stop them, or kick them or anything like that, in those moments that you're reacting to this abuse, that is you fighting back. That is you just so broken mentally from everything that they've done. But if you do that, then that narcissistic person, their family members, their friends, they will say, you hit him. You abused him too. You're both abusers. Right. And that's just not the reality. 
Um, your rights but, are taken away from you when you react. What's the worst yeah. thing you think your kids saw him do? That's a really good question. Because I, try, but they're in therapy, and I try not to pry too much. And like Micah, my oldest, she has a sadness journal where she writes things down, she crinkles it up, throws it away. I've wanted so bad to be like, right? You know, like yeah. just to check on her. How old is she? Um, but what they eleven. One of the things that I know for a fact that she saw, both of our girls saw this. They saw the assault in March and they saw him grab me. He was like bear hugging me, trying to grab my face to open my phone with face ID. And I'm like, you like, hell no. And it was just scary. I'm like trying not to yell because I don't want to scare them. I'm like, it's okay. I can't even see them. I know they're behind me, but I can't like, I'm trying not to fight too much. But I'm like, let go. The kids are here. The kids, the kids, the kids, the kids. And he didn't care. He never cared. I know they heard him yell. They heard me yell. They've heard a lot of fights. But as far as seeing things, that's the only incident that I know for a fact that they saw, which is scary enough. But, you know, throughout this whole journey and us talking about it and all of us being in therapy, they've said things to me that are just so scary. And like, I really didn't think that they were as aware as they were. And I think that's like the biggest mistake is that I didn't leave soon enough because they heard things they never should have heard. They were scared at moments where I didn't even know they were awake or heard anything. And that just kills me, you know? Right. Well, it's, it's, you know, in a situation like this, this is the, the reality and, and, and all you can do is, is the next right thing and, you know, and be the parent that you are when, when you were at the end of it, was his using obvious or was it just total bedlam? It was so obvious, like so obvious. He has PTSD, severe PTSD from being in Iraq. And he would um, he would have like night terrors. And this is things that he shared as well. Like I'm not just like spilling the beans on him either. Like he's publicly said this. He would have night terrors where he would jump up out of his sleep and like punch things, kick, yell, scream, make horrible noises. And, you know, there was one time where he almost like, he, he definitely could have killed me if I didn't move in time. But I was like almost asleep. He jumped up and he went, he started like punching the bed and like freaking out. And I'm like, I got up, like I had just barely missed it. And I know that he's out of it, I can tell. But after a while, I'm like, race. The only thing that woke him up was like, he had like done this like weird haymaker move and like flipped over and it fucked up his arm in his sleep. And that woke him up and he was like, started like crying in pain from that. And I tried to explain him what had happened and, you know, things like that were just the norm, you know, just the, the norm. He, he would get aggressive with me during blackouts where he's stumbling around trying to make food and he would just yell random shit, you know, like the kids have a half day. I'm like, they don't have a half day. It's no, this is Saturday. It's definitely Tuesday. It's Tuesday at 8 a.m. We can't order Chinese food right now. It's or Thai food. They're closed. Let me know if you need anything. And then he just like yell at me and like he yell random things like, hey, I'm not going to tell you again. Or like none of it made any sense, you know, and that was just very, very normal. Yeah, it's it's and, and the whole time, are you putting out your content? So how does that work? So um, if I if I could make it, I, I definitely filmed and posted a lot less videos. But if I could make it two to three days without crying, then my eyes weren't swollen and I could get on camera. Um, and I did that. And during those days, I would film two to three videos a day, change my shirt, 
turn the camera back on, film another video and just crank out as much as I could. How much is it of it was personal stuff or how much of it was like, you should eat this in prison and this is how you smuggle in a cigarette or like how much of it was personal disclosure versus, you know, the kind of branding stuff. It was mostly like how to do prison makeup or whatever yeah. that probably predates the relapse, but it wasn't really serious until I finally had come out and said he relapsed. Um, and I don't have the exact date, but after I made that video, then it kind of got scarier and I was like, okay, well he totaled a truck impression of two other cars, um, like in Harlem. So that was fun. And he was definitely drunk and all the cops were like, yo, do you work out? Like we should work out together. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious right now? Fuck you up. I swear to God. And he's like, Oh, army, you were in the army. That's great, brother. I'm like, this dude's fucking drunk. No grown man drinks orange juice at 4 PM and crashes into two cars and drags along the median. You see these other cars he hit? They're dead ass sober. Look how pissed off they are. Um, cause he had called me. He's like, I fucked up. I got in an accident. And I, I was like 40 minutes away. I flew 120 miles an hour on the fucking shoulder trying to get to him before the cops. I'm like, oh, it's gridlocked. I got this. Let me get there because this is just my trauma. This is me just reacting. I'm like, let me get there as fast as I can to try to get drugs out of his truck just in case he has drugs on him because I don't want him to get arrested. And oh, my God, like he was falling asleep on scene. And I was like, wake your ass up. You know, like were there drugs I, in I the truck that you got out of there? I I don't know. No, because like we had to tow the truck. So the cop like I had pulled up behind the cop. The cop's like, oh, pull ahead of us. Put, go in front of us, you know, because I have to have the cop car here. And I'm like, OK, great. I run to his truck and I'm like trying to go through everything. But like as nonchalantly as possible. After a while, like one of the cops is like you, where did you say you came from? You got here pretty fast. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> traffic's not that bad gridlocks on the other side you know right. it's like that's weird but i i was trying to like chase him around the city with a fucking pillow just to you know prevent him from falling too hard and getting hurt and i should have just literally just focused on myself totally. and our girls you know i i wish i had done that but i was so scared and i loved him so much like this was my person this was like the only person that i thought i was going to be with i i was so in love with him i was also now trauma bonded to this person, codependent with this person in this cycle of domestic violence and toxicity to a person I truly don't even know. You know, I like. Can you explain, explain to me trauma bonding? Like, how does that work? So um, it's where there's a lot of different examples of this, but it is where there there's a traumatic event that happens and that kind of like glues you together and then you add on top of that the cycle of domestic violence where you know they're promising they'll never going to they're never going to do that again and everything's good for a while cuz if it was all bad who the fuck would stay literally no one and you get so addicted in the same way that you would get addicted to drugs you're seeking that dopamine you're seeking that you know it triggers that reward system so you, that's all you want and that person is that dopamine right so you try to leave and you crave them and you have like detox and withdrawal from that and you think you're you're gonna die from this pain like that's how bad it hurts and you know you'll go back to them time and time again because fuck the consequences like I need that hit of dopamine I need that person this is the person that broke me but I think they can fix me and that's that can't happen the person that broke you can't fix you and the only way to get better is to leave 
And, you know, luckily my girls now know if you're being treated this way, if you're unhappy, if someone is physically violent, emotionally abusive, leave. The response is not to stay. The response is to leave because they see everything that I do. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's the most important job that I have, you know, so. And before all this happened, like before that first time where he comes home with the six pack and you smell the liquor and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Had there been any physical abuse? Like, had there been anything like any of this? No, like the only thing that he threw something once, like it wasn't anything where I felt like I was in danger. He never, um, no, no, he would, he could raise his voice to me and I'd just start crying before the relapse. Right, right. And, and everything changed when he, like a total personality change. It's like the, yeah. the total change from relapse, which we hear about all the time as drug addicts, like a psychic change, the other sort of psychic change. And I think that is why I stayed as long as I did. I was in that house with him and, you know, on again, off again, relapsed for 10 months because I'm like, that's not who he really is. That's also why I went back. I convinced myself that he's a good man. He has PTSD. I can be patient with him. I, we got this. Like, this is not who he is. That is the addict in him. But now that I've uncovered as much as I have, I just can't unsee how narcissistic he is. And, you know, it, it is what it is. And I, I don't know. I can't explain it other than that, I think. No, I think you're right. I think it is the addict in him. And the addict in you is like, he can get better. We all can get better. That's what you've been talking about for years and years and years. And you're like, well, it's in my house and we have these two beautiful daughters and we are this cohesive family and we can make this work. And that's a fine instinct and there's nothing and people can get better, but there's a point where the line gets crossed and you, you know, you need to do what you just said, which is be the example for your daughters. And, and, there's a, there's a line that can't get crossed. And, and once it gets crossed, there's no uncrossing it. And I'm not saying like down the road through recovery and, and a lot of work, he can make amends in some way or another and you can be on different terms. But as of now, I think you did what was necessary. Does he talk to the kids at all now? So he um, he can call every night. That's kind of the court order. He calls every night at the same time. Does he? It's on a court parenting app. <laughs> He's missed quite a few calls. Um, but he calls on the court monitoring app when he feels like it, um, which is, you know, a few times a week. And he, um, and I'm not like too aggressive with that. He's supposed to call. Every, I don't care. Like just, you know, just call. <laughs> and he can see them two days out of the month, Saturday and Sunday from nine to four. Um, he doesn't even live in the state anymore, so he has to travel to to see them. And did your how much of your audience turned on you in this whole thing? What's like awful is um, like I, I I get a lot of love, and I have a lot of incredible people that that are super positive and encouraging and understanding. But I I've gotten a lot of hate, especially because I'm in a new relationship, and um, you know they don't like it. But it's primarily women that are doing it that are just so fucking hateful and shameful and projecting their own shit onto me and just saying all kinds of shit that I think as a patriarchy we need to like let go of, you know, like fuck the patriarchy. Stop it. <laughs> but yeah, they're fucking brutal, dude. They're fucking brutal. 
And do you think it really happened when you went public with the relationship? Was that, was that the biggest turn? Well, that's not going great. I'm not going to lie. Um, what's not going great? Like the announcing the relationship. It's great on this side of the fence on the internet. It's not going great. They're, they're mad. Um, but I think the biggest arc was when I announced that I had left him and not at first either. It was like a slow kind of thing where people were like, how could you post about his relapse on the internet? That's kind of fucked up. You shouldn't do that. Don't talk about domestic violence. You know, just moving mountains to make excuses for him while trying to silence me at the same time. And throughout this year, I have made, or throughout last year, I had made several mistakes with people that I was hanging out with and things that I was doing. And um, what kind of mistakes? You know, it looked bad. What did you do? So, you can tell. Yeah, us. I, <laughs> I had a friend. I, that I've known like 13 plus years and he is a documented gang member and I had to call him and ask for help because I, I was really genuinely afraid that, you know, Reese was going to act crazy, which he did. And that was just probably the biggest, biggest mistake that I could have ever made, you know, and I have been really public with that person as well, Jason, and he's in federal prison right now for, um, I don't even know what his, I guess, parole violations or whatever, but there was several parole violations because he was not sober. And again, same thing, because I did the thing. I did the thing. I didn't heal from this shit before I moved on to other things. And I allowed Jason, Mindy, all these people to come into my life and do the same kind of shit to me. You know, it, it looks fucked up on the internet. And yeah, so I... I've made a million fucking mistakes throughout this year, but, um, was that romantic with the, with the gang guy and public? I no, I never, I've never said anything about me being in a situation with Jason. Never said it out loud on the internet. Um, I am finally saying it when I can get the balls to edit this video that I filmed the other day because I, I got a marriage certificate technically. What does that mean? Okay. So here's, <laughs> Here's the thing. Jason's married. He's been married like 20 plus years. This other chick who lives in Oklahoma or Arkansas or some shit. And um, I am stupid. I'm like, okay, if I get a if I get a marriage license, then I can go visit him in prison because as a felon, I'm not allowed to visit him unless I'm like his mother or daughter or whatever. So I'm like, okay, well, you're already married. So this is null and void, which it is. Right. But I'll help you get the divorce with her and like we can just call it good. So my dumbass, you know, is like, this sounds like a fine plan. It's totally good. And I'll make your cousin the ordained minister and it'll be the funniest thing ever, you know. And it was. And the whole time in my mind, I'm like, this is just so funny. This is just so fucking funny that this dude is like the minister because he's not that way. And like it was just I thought I was sending it for prison visits. And, um, you know, since telling Jason this situationship, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I, I can't. Um, I, were you going to marry him to visit him in prison? Was that is that what the certificate was for? Yes. So <laughs> I thought it was paperwork. I just thought I was signing up for prison visits because this X is it out. Turns out you're married you to Jason to now. Oh, my God. So what are you going like, to I feel what are you going to do now? Did you visit him in prison? No, no, because I told him, like, I'm, I don't want to be in a situation with you, but I still got your back. I'll still put money on your books. I'll still pay your property taxes. That was three grand. I'll never get back. 
you know, I got you. I'm here. I'll come visit you. You know, like, cause he was my friend forever before that happened. And it was like, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, I will come visit you. I'll get this paperwork. Da, 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 da. And then I realized, and he told me after that you have to get an actual divorce. And I'm like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me that before? Like you, I'm making so many jokes that it's ridiculous. Like the whole house is like, I'm dark humoring it up over here on this parade of like, look who the minister is. Like, meanwhile, I thought it was meanwhile, you're, you're actually married. Did you get divorced yet? No, that's going to be expensive. So you're going to be married I'm to this guy in prison that. instead. <laughs> I'm just going to fake my own death. <laughs> right. Right. Get a get a get a, like a mannequin and put it in the Jeep, steal the Jeep back, get a mannequin. <laughs> Put it in the Jeep, drive it off the cliff. You know how, you know how stupid I feel. Like I, like I literally, because Jason's very, he's kind of the same way as Reese, and that's why I was like, I did the thing, same person, different shapes, you know. And I was like, I was like, I, I'm stupid, but I'm like, I'm right or die. I got your back. I'll be there for you. I don't want you to go ten months without a visit. We can just get this stupid little certificate, and then I can come visit you. No big deal. And we'll make this crazy dude that's definitely not a priest to priest. And that's hilarious. Stupid. Don't do that. And now you're, and now you're married. Did he ever, did, was there ever a confrontation between Jason and Reese? Yeah, there was quite a few. Was that like, horrible? I think it was the worst. Like, I think Jason made Reese worse. He definitely scared um, him, stalled my recovery, you know, and kind of that I was like backpedaled and I had spent all year trying to like, be like, listen, man, we tried. This doesn't work. I'm not fucking happy. You don't look happy. I'm good. Like, I can't be in this with you. I tried so many times. And what Jason is really good at doing is like threatening me and telling me he's going to tell everyone I did this and I did that. He's going to expose me and leak shit. And I'm like, I'll just do that my goddamn self. And like, I'll just say what it is. And like, you're not going to blackmail me and ruin my life to try to get me to stay with you. Like you're no, <laughs> like, that's why I don't want to be with you. That's fucking insane. It is. You know, so, so you so you're you're you were drinking with him and stuff, basically. Yeah, I I drank pretty heavily, um, especially after I left. And that I'm I'm doing a lot better with it now. But I had to like in my mind, I had to drink so that I didn't think about this and I could just, you know, we'll deal with that shit tomorrow. That pesky gang member situation tomorrow problem. <sighs> yeah. So that was fun. When did he go away? So he got arrested in August and, you know, the first couple of days I'm, I'm so upset. I just miss him and I feel so bad. He's in jail and like he, you know, he's in a lot of pain because his hands need surgery on his hands and it's all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, after like three days, I was like, you know, like I can breathe. Like I'm not stressed out. He's not going to come over here and fight with me. Like he had gotten very aggressive with me too. Like he had he had broken two doors in my house to try to get to me. I'm trying to calm down and get away from him because we're arguing. He didn't want me to talk to Reese or try to co-parent with Reese or whatever. He didn't want me to make any decisions for myself. And I'm like, first of all, where the fuck did you even come from? Second of all, you're not going to dictate anything. Not the color of the wall that I'm painting or my co-parenting. So get fucked, you know, and it was just another problem and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to be separated from that person. And I'm so happy now. And I'm selling this weird, quirky house. My realtor is pissed that I painted the ceiling glitter black. <laughs> She's like, Jess, what, what am I supposed to do with this? No one's going to want an all black room and a glitter ceiling. Like, Repaint it. it. Repaint it. I know. Now, 
does this guy mess with you, Jason? Is 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 now because this guy gets me nervous where I'm sitting. Like this guy gets me nervous. What is his deal now? Uh, Burner. No, Jason. Oh, Jason. Yeah. So Jason's mad, threatening me all the time, telling um, everyone that because I've never said that I was in a situation ship with him or any of this. Never said that I got the marriage license. He is calling people from prison. They're leaking it to Reddit. Then they're making videos about it. And um, he's just on the daily, just threatening me. He's, you know, threatened burner and talked so much shit. Like he will write these huge ass emails. And then he has someone, he emails them to someone and then they copy and paste it and text it to us from like four different numbers. And it's like, Jesus Christ, dude. But yeah, who knows? I All I know is I'm moving and he won't know where I am. How long is he locked up for? He gets out in like three or four months oh, and God. no parole. It's not great. Not great. He if, if one person doesn't give a fuck, it is that person. You know, like. This scares it's me. It's just so stupid. This gets, it scares me. It gets me nervous. And um, so and where did Burner come from? Burner 420. Um, who smokes pinners because he gets anxiety if he smokes too much weed. Well, <laughs> so he picked the wrong name. Um, <laughs> but so he is from Utah and, um, I have known him for like three years and he's been my secret crush for like three years. And I've never told him ever. Um, and I would purposely avoid him. Like if there was an event for like TikTokers or whatever, I'd be like, oh, who's going to be there? Oh, Brittany Jade. Yeah, no, I fuck with her. Cool. Who else? Oh, sweet. Who else? Burn. I'm good. If Burner's going to be there, I'm not going. Like, what? What's your problem with him? I'm like, nothing. I'm going to get pregnant probably. I can't. I can't go. <laughs> so, you know, I we have always kind of talked and been friends. I've interviewed him before. Um, but I never told him that I was like, I think you're so hot that it makes me die. And I don't want to talk to you. You should just block me probably. because. Did you tell him that? You didn't tell him that. Finally, I did a few months ago. <laughs> um. But yeah, like I, that's where it came from, the internet and a tattoo shop. What about, did Jason come from the internet too? No, I met Jason in Fort Smith, Arkansas in 2011 when I was down there like doing meth and selling meth and all of that. Um, and we didn't like each other in the street. And um, I eventually get locked up and everyone's talking about big Jason. And like he has this very, and I knew his reputation in the street, but he had a very big name for himself. And I've been super disrespectful to him on the street. Not me. Never me. Um, but I'm like, let me just write this dude. He's always waving and smiling in the hallway. And like, let me just apologize for being like a complete cunt and calling him a cop for no reason. Um, so I did. And we just became really good friends. And the crazy thing is now, like I would, I was locked up with a lot of these girls that he ran around with. Multiple girls came through jail in prison and we would talk like oh who do you know i know that person oh yeah jason yeah i know him da, da, da. so we'd get in these conversations and they'd tell me these crazy stories about this dude where basically he would kidnap them and at the end of this story like oh my boyfriend owed him like ten thousand. he kidnapped me he like threw me in the trunk and like but he was like super respectful and nice and i'm like huh yeah no like it's fine like he was such a gentleman and like my boyfriend paid him and everything was cool and then yeah no i thought i'm gonna write him and i'm like you have stockholm syndrome how did he show up and physically heard, in your life? Like, how did he turn up? So he is from, um, 
that's the hold on let me finish the, that's the complexity of jason is that he's very violent very crazy doesn't give a fuck everyone's afraid of him but at the end of these psychotic crazy things that he does everyone's everyone in love with walk him. away from that yeah everyone's like oh he's so, he's a really good dude though and i'm gonna go give him a burrito or i'm gonna write him for 10 years in prison like you it's just weird but he is from chicago and uh reese and i had moved up here in 2019 i think because he got a promotion and um it just is a weird thing where it just kind of worked out where we were close together and he got out on parole in 2020 maybe or 2021 the end of 2020 i don't fucking know everyone knows i can't count dates for shit and i don't know what year it is and like, yes. <laughs> but um yeah so we were literally just friends he had a girlfriend for a year his first year out that's a whole crazy situation and yeah, he, he would come over. He spent Thanksgiving with us, like his first like trip because he had an ankle monitor for a while. His first pass was to our house and like everything was totally cool. And then Reese relapsed and eventually Jason ended up relapsing with him. Mm -hmm. So I didn't talk to Jason like in 2023, two, 2022. I didn't talk to Jason for like six months. We were like sworn enemies. I was so mad at him because he's partying with Reese. I'm like, just fucking help me save him. Jesus. <laughs> And uh, finally, like, I called him for help in December of last last year. And that was just a horrible mistake. But I didn't know who else to call. No one knew what was going on. It's like Casino. Did you ever see Casino? When Sharon Stone calls the Joe Pesci character to help with with her husband. Yeah. That's what that's like in my warped uh, movie oh version God. of this. That's that. That's the casino version of this. You're Sharon Stone, and Jason is Joe Pesci, and Reese is Robert De Niro in this story. I don't know who Burner is then. And, <laughs> and when does Burner move to Illinois? Um, very recently. But first of all, I'm gonna make that a TikTok skit because that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's so funny. Burner, uh, Burner just got here. He came out a couple of months ago, and you know we're just gonna see what it was and if we kind of you know if we if we vibed and as soon as he got here it was just like oh my god like this is awesome and it's been a couple months so i can't say like where we're moving to um don't but, <laughs> um but yeah recently very recently well you look happy i'm glad you're happy and i'm glad you came here to tell your truth how do you feel about it you feel all right terrified i don't even want to when are you posting this <laughs> Like now, Girl. now, I don't know, probably next week. We're well, live, actually. Yeah, we're, this is actually a live stream. I have to, I think next week, whenever you want, you're in charge. It's like, I do not want to violate. It's like, this was a privilege and an honor and I know you and I, I would never fuck with your shit. You know that. I think you know that, right? I think I know. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure. I've tried to get to New York so many times to film. I wanted, I wanted to come on the show in person and I also want to do Ian Vick's podcast and I'm like, okay, I can knock two birds out with one stone. Every single time I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. Some stupid shit happens and I just can't make it. In the fall is DopeyCon 5. If you're still alive or if some version of you is still alive, you need to come. And you can bring Burner 420 if you want to DopeyCon 5. He can he can, he can awesome. smoke like, a pen outside. No pinner um, on Bible paper from jail. Listen, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad the girls are okay. Do whatever you can for peace for yourself, you know, your personal peace. And, and, and if you ever need anything from me, like, obviously I'm here. Vice versa. And I did see that you have 7,000 subscribers on YouTube now, and I'm so happy for you. Cause the last time I looked, you had like a thousand. 
I know that was, we spent that stupid year doing those. It didn't work though, Jess. Like we have to get back to our mentorship. We have almost 11 million downloads on the podcast though. 11 million downloads. Yeah. Like That's this insane. month we're going to hit 11 million. And, uh, Jesus Christ. and dude, you've been so like such a good friend to me and to our show and so selfless and so loving. And like, sometimes you won't text me back for months at a time, but if I ever need you to do anything, you like do it in a fucking second. So yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you just so you know. And, um, and thank you for coming through. And I know this is a fucking painful story. And what I hope is that Reese gets his shit together and he's in your kid's life and, um, and, and eventually amends can be made and you don't have to be with him, but it would be nice if your daughters had a nice relationship with their dad. And, and that's what I hope for. Me too. And you know, whoever he, um, he has a girlfriend and I'm like, I'm, I'm desperate for a healthy co-parent relationship. I'll get all four of us jerseys. Let's go to a fucking soccer game. Like let's please be healthy and functional for the kids. Cause they like, that is the most important thing. And I hope that we can get to that. I I'm super hopeful. As long as you're as you're loving with the kids, that you that's all you can control for now. You know, control your lovingness and control your like, you know, make it work with burner. And if not, the next guy, I don't want to come from prison. I'm sorry, Jess. I don't want the next guy to come from prison. I I have faith Reese in didn't it. come from prison. Well, I thought I thought the, I picked right. All right. Well, we're gonna have to deal with that. I think I, I, I think it'll, I have good, good, good feeling about burner 420. You seem very happy together. So I'm not going to poo poo that choice. Just enjoy it. Be safe and fucking love your kids, which I know you do. So we'll leave it at that. So much. All I'm codependent on that. Well, good. And um, thank you for coming through and don't be a fucking stranger. All right. I won't. And fucking toodles for Chris. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> Right, that was Jess Kent. We are always rooting for Jessica. We are super fans. I'm a super fan. Selby is a super fan. Anyone who got anything good out of that story with Jess, tell Jess. It'll make her feel good. Or write us an email or send in a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Also, since we're here talking, if you want to leave a review, leave it on iTunes. My dad will read it. My dad's about to come on and read some reviews. Also, tell your friends about Dopey. That would be fantastic. Follow us. All that stuff. Follow us on YouTube. Just do it all. Oh, yeah, I'm going to read another note. This note is from Dopey Great Patreon member Ivy Clark. And Ivy says, Ivy sent in a voicemail around Christmas, and I think I forgot to play it. So I need to apologize to Ivy, and I'm going to say, Hey, Dave and Dopey Nation, I really enjoy your podcast lately. I look forward to every Friday when they get posted for us to listen to. I know I've sent some voicemails in, but wasn't sure if you preferred to hear your own voice read our comments. So I thought I'd just let you know you're doing a great job. Thank you, Ivy. Love the banter back and forth with your dad. That's great because he's coming on. As far as where the priorities lie in the family relations with you and his grandkids and all. Yeah, his grandson is killing me in fantasy basketball. If he would have watched the 75 like you had mentioned in an earlier podcast, he would have definitely known who Michael Dowd was when you interviewed him. But that's okay. Your podcasts are definitely 
getting longer and longer, but that's okay. They keep me company during the week, I believe, just as they are designed to. And this way you can strain out who are loyal listeners or not if they don't listen to the end. I think that's a good idea, Ivy. Anyway, I hope you are all having a fulfilling New Year. Toodles for Chris and for all of those who passed. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, from Ivy Clark, who had the opportunity to attend DopeyCon IV with her little service dog, Biscuit. I'm going to start doing a shorter show on Tuesdays, a bonus show with more stories and emails and just kind of dumb shit. So does that interest you guys? We will find out. And here is my dad. Welcome back to the show, Dad. Oh, we're on the air now? It's not the air. This is a recording that will be podcasted on Friday. And do you know what happened three days ago? What happened three days ago? We broke 11 million downloads. I told you. Well, you had predicted in the spring. I Underestimating the power of the Dopey Nation. I said by as my usual. birthday. By your, it's not that you've got weeks away from your birthday. It's two weeks. You said that months after your original I, I prediction. Mis- I didn't estimate it correctly. That's true. But I did have the facts. So we've broken 11 million downloads. What do you think? Congratulations. Excellent. It is, it is excellent. Now, what is your latest problem with the show? Oh, I was really upset with you. Why, why are you so so concerned about having beefs? Well, what's the point of, of a beef? Isn't that something that you should get along with people and, and, and not have beefs? I, I don't get that. Why, why are you so would you consider beef? Listen, would you consider yourself a member of the Dopey Nation? Yes. Members of the Dopey Nation love Dopey Beef. Now, let me ask well, you a question. I guess I want, you to, I want you to answer honestly, pure-heartedly. First thing that comes into your head. Is the show more entertaining when I'm angry about something? I get upset. You get upset. Yes. Well, maybe that makes it doubly entertaining then. <laughs> yeah, if right. If I'm upset and then you're listening getting upset and I can think <laughs> about you getting upset. So you're saying you are anti-Dopey Beef. Absolutely. Every dopey beef we've ever had, you've been against. Well, if you had a, a legitimate reason. It's funny because one of the topics I have on my list yes. is your own beef oh. with the museum in Montana. Oh, yeah. So you are allowed to have beef. Well, it's, I see the definition of beef. Does it mean argument? It's a conflict. A conflict. Resentment, yeah, I, conflict, no, anger. I, I, my, my quote beef with the museum in Montana is because they are disreputable. What's the name of this museum? Uh, the Glendive Museum. Glendive? Do you want to unleash the, pol- the full fury power of the Dopey Nation against your museum beef? Well, it's it's the museum in Glendive, Montana. It's, yes. It's terrible. Why? It's anti-science. Yes. P- promoting nonsense and, yes. and myth, 
and uh, Bigfoot, and it's a it's a detriment to the kids out there who Loch Ness are getting monster. falsely educated. Plates, M- Mormon plates. What do they What do they talk about in this museum? They, they talk about uh, that uh, <laughs> that humans and dinosaurs live together. The Earth is six thousand years old. No, I mean Noah's flood is real. Well, humans were very, very afraid of the dinosaurs. Oh, that was well documented. That's why they developed fire <laughs> to fight the Tyrannosauruses. All right, move on, please. Yes. So, why is your beef okay and my beef not okay? Well, I do it in a really very interesting way, though. I I compliment them on on being ethical and moral about certain things, and yet they are telling falsehoods. So I try to point out to them that they're not following what they think is the teachings of Jesus. See, they think they are pro-Jesus, but they're putting out falsehoods and lies. And, what and do I you said do? that's not very ethical, and Jesus would not approve of that. So you try to people-please them with some weird passive-aggressive beef. That's your strategy. <laughs> is, that, is that what I'm doing? I don't know. You should have heard him last night on the phone with me. He was talking about, what were you talking about? Due diligence and vibes. Well, and, I thought you would understand those words. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, honestly, we all know that when I get upset and angry and take things personal, yeah. it makes for some of the more entertaining content on the me, show. It gets me nervous that you're not following the proper path that you say you're following. I'm on the path. You What about this do the right thing part? I, what, which, what, what did I do that was, I mean, when I threatened when, them? Yes. I threatened them and then I apologized. Well, you shouldn't have threatened them in the first place. They had it coming. Uh-huh. They never should have sponsored the show for a year. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on. Um, uh, what else do you have to criticize? Nothing me for? else. That's it. That's I'm it. Yes. Nothing else. I, I think that you should not have uh, beefs unless you had a good reason. So, in the history of dopey beefs, you've liked zero, none. Well, yeah, yes, none. The sober guy beef, Omar, um, the Vice when they stole the show, Dope Sick Nation. You felt good about Dope Sick Nation. No, that 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 was not yeah, good. You liked that beef. Yeah, that was okay. That was a beef that you could live with. But the Cat Mornell thing was terrible. I mean, you never that she's not. You know, something was amiss there. That was not. My, I didn't have beef with Cat Mornell. No, she had beef with you. Cat Mornell <laughs> had beef with me, and I can't think of any other dopey beefs uh, through the years. So you're saying that you hate this dinosaur museum because they it's, rebuke science and Jesus's teachings. Well, they don't rebuke Jesus's teachings except when they are talking nonsense about about uh, what they think is the history of the Earth. It's just total nonsense. All right, I think you should just read reviews. Yeah. Like, what are you? Yeah, so yeah, was, so you're you, fighting. You're fighting with this museum. In, I'm trying how? to educate you. You're saying them. Jesus wouldn't do what you're doing? How do you invoke Jesus' name? I've- okay. If, if in reality, the teachings of Jesus is very, very wonderful, if that's the truth of the teachings of Jesus, and this museum is, is putting out information that's total lies, how could that be a Christian thing to do? If they're putting out total but lies. But if they think it's true, then it's not lies to uh-huh, them. Ah, they think it's true. Okay, that's the problem. They're not educated. So what are you willing to do? Um, what lengths are you willing to go to win your beef? 
with I, this ultra-right wing. They, they keep asking me to, to send money to them to support the museum, and I keep writing to them. Why are they asking you for money? Be, because Don't I they would, know that you're campaigning openly against them? Of course they do. We have this nice relationship. I wish them Merry Christmas. Everything. Why? You're very, you're, your beef approach I, is not an effective beefing approach. <laughs> beefing approach requires insulting them, threatening them. No, see, I won't do that. Telling them that you will end them. It's, no, that's not. See, that's what I'm upset about you. That's that. what. That's how you do a beef. I. That's that's your way of doing it, and I. I'm they not, will I'm suffer. Not, I'm not. With they that. will suffer at your hands. I don't want them to suffer. I want them to teach the truth. Please, you, you can't handle the truth. Are you going <laughs> to read a review? Well, I have to get my glasses on. That is that the long one. You can. I don't care what you read. You can read whatever you want. The long one I think you should read because it's very complimentary. Oh, the top oh, oh, one. Of you, you mean. Yes, I like that. And um, oh, and you also remember you didn't like the Ray Brown segment on the, on the Christmas episode. Oh, so. that was terrible. Why didn't you like it? It was pornographic nonsense. The farm animals part? What was the part you didn't like? You were talking about the penises for, for on and on and on. Were I mean, you aghast? I was aghast and agape. Are you considering <laughs> starting a beef against Ray Brown? No, it, was, would be it a wasn't very, his fault. He, was, be, he was embarrassed by you. That was a very. That'd be a very juicy. It was dopey you that beef. was the problem. What would I? What did I do? You were the one who was doing it. Listen, what you're, would this show be? Terrible. What would this show be without me? <laughs> it wouldn't be a show, that's for sure. All right. So what am I doing yet? Just read a five fucking, stars. Yes. The best podcast ever. That's what I'm saying. I have been listening for over a year and started from the beginning. I have finally caught up on all episodes, but I'm a bit down. I no longer have an endless episode list of dopey episodes to rely on. An endless episode list of dopey episodes. Yeah, that's that's too many words. The length of the show is great. The longer, the better. The longer, the better. Since it is more dopey. This podcast is the best entertainment, a reliable friend, and provides an inspiring community for an addict Look at in, that. In, in any stage of using or recovery. Any stage. Dave has put his heart and soul except when he has beefs, into perfecting More dopey soul. and along the Listen, way. Listen, hold up. You can say what you want, but my beefs are incredibly soulful. Continue, yeah, please. Yeah, okay. You got me. Where, where am I? Uh, heart and soul. Has put his Dave's heart and great. soul into perfecting dopey and along the way has created a very unique recovery community. The story of Dave and Chris is heartfelt and the current format of the podcast has reached a, a professional <laughs> and entertaining level, which provides a strong support for my recovery while making me laugh and feel at peace with my past struggles. I hope Dopey continues to succeed and grow so Dave can finally leave the deli yes. and become abundantly wealthy abundantly. from the show. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, that, that would be kind of You know cool. what the first thing I would do is, it, is destroy your museum. I'd go out there and deal with, I'd build a museum next door. And you know what I would tell the museum? That will choke the life out of them with science. Well, that's, yeah. You like that? Yeah, that's good. Except there is a museum down the road and they don't even do they anything They should start a beef. It. They don't. Um, Dad, your beef is, is sad. This beef, Jesus wouldn't like the way you're, I, I'm not going to give you money and Jesus guilt. wouldn't like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's that, your deepest it, weapon is Jewish guilt. Yeah. Do you think I've become immune to your Jewish guilt? I think so. Yeah. You can ignore it. I've adapted my, my heroin <laughs> addict has adapted past Jewish. Yeah. Guilt. It didn't work on you. That's for sure. Continue. please. Uh, 
Uh, he wants you to leave the deli and become abundantly wealthy yes. from the show. He does. You deserve it. He says. I do. He's right. And he actually says he he works in the restaurant industry also. Okay. Alan, if you read this review, there we go. Which I'm doing right now. You should be very proud of Dave. Very proud. And you are a wonderfully supportive dad. Very. It is encouraging. Stay strong, dopey nations, and toodles for Chris. I am very proud. Of Aren't, why Dave. are you looking at the phone when you say that? Because I want. It's like you're trying to ta- trying to talk to the guy that wrote the review. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, I am very proud of David, and uh, and I I tried. I tried to be supportive, especially when I tell him to stop doing things that he shouldn't be doing. All right, just just relax. You know, I got I got a, a message from uh, Dopey uh, Legend and uh, Marijuana Farmer B. Getz, mm. who writes, Hey, dude, Happy New Year. Hope all's well. Checking in to see how your dad's hip is healing up. Oh. My mom just hit seven months post-op, 50% cane, 50% on his own, on her own twos. Wow, I'm I'm doing really good, very good. So check very it out well. today. Today I'm walking down Eighth Avenue and I'm yeah. thinking of my crippled father. So I pick up the phone to call him, and then I hear the phone ringing, and he's saying hello, and he's standing right <laughs> yeah. behind me carrying a golf putter, yes. which I thought he was trying to be slick, like the go- like he doesn't need a cane. So he holds the golf putter, which I think probably is why you have the golf putter. No. And it turns out he doesn't need the cane. No. And you're just putting away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I walked all the way to Chelsea Pier and and uh, and was there putting uh, putting away. Puttering and I, down to Chelsea Piers to putt. I, the doctor, yeah. So B gets the doctor told me that uh, that um, um I can do whatever I want now and just keep you know keep it up and keep exercising and walking and I'm 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 feeling good. I'm feeling good. And then I just got this message from your niece and she says, which niece? I think Rachel. She says, hi, David. I don't know if you remember, but when I was in grad school, I had someone in my class who was a dopey listener. Really? I actually started a new job last week, and the former classmate, Jacob, works at this school. We just had a conversation, and he asked me how Uncle Alan is doing after his surgery. Oh, very nice. And he listens to dopey while he does dishes. dishes. Just wanted to tell you such a small world. Yeah. Do you want to give a shout out to Jacob, the dishwasher? Yeah. Hi. Hi, Jacob. And does this make you feel good? Yes. Very nice. People are very concerned about you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I am. Uh, You're I'm concerned about you, about too. Well, believe me, I was. I could hardly walk for months and months and months. And now you're puttering around sans cane. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we talked. You didn't give much credit. You said I was. You said I was disgusting with Ray Brown. You don't like the dopey beefs. Uh, Montana, your beef is very sad. You've Listen, conducted a horrible beef there. I need to reiterate they, that. They they actually have have land that has fossils on it, which I wanted yes, to, yes. to get the fossils from it, and uh, and they were very nice to me, except of course for the fact that they're not going to change their attitude about their lack their lack of integrity about science. Now, Dopey Nation, I don't know how much I've really talked to you about my father. And his plans over the years to accomplish things. Uh, the last one being he wanted to open a pizzeria across the street <laughs> called Erotic Pizza. It was next to this. Who era. knows why? <laughs> I, oh, well, you know why. Tell me why. Because of that, that pornographic shop that was next door. Because there was an erotica store on the corner and there used to be a pizza place. So the my brand. father said, why don't I put them together and create the first ever erotic pizza? 
Yeah. Well, anyway, that, that didn't Why happen. don't we quickly go down the list of some of your old big ideas? Well, you mean raising lobsters on uh, 10th Avenue indoors? What happened with that idea? Well, it, the lobsters don't cooperate. It's, it's not good. I thought, and, and I, I thought originally you wanted to do the, the lobster farming on the West Side Highway. Yeah, that's what I meant. But they, re- they realized that tourism would be better and they built parks and stuff. Instead no, of, no, no. In the Martha, they built the Martha Highline. Stewart building, that huge building there. There was, there, there was plenty of room. And what about my importing uh, the uh, Chinese Swiss, knives? Swiss family. He said Swiss <laughs> knives are too expensive. Let's go right to China and right. see. And then so what? And then the, what happened? They, they shipped twenty. They shipped twenty knives, and eighteen were broken by the time they got here. Right. And then what? What else you got? Uh, the greatest. The greatest Alan Mannheim scam. You know what that was? Well, scam. The Seven Eleven Eclipse. Oh yeah, God. Do you want to tell them about that? Well, that's too long. That that was a, maybe that'll that be was a, a Patreon big, bonus yes, episode. That's a big deal. The Seven Eleven Eclipse Saga. What did you think about the the new sober update on Matthew Wiedemeyer Carroll? No, what was that? Oh, Dad, you don't even listen to this stupid show. <laughs> that was the Christmas show. He he's sober again. Well, Matt, waiting for tonight. Matthew, you don't remember this guy? Yeah. You don't. With the I, cat. Yes. Yeah, of course, I see it every Friday. So you don't feel uh, happy for him? Of course I should be you happy. You don't know I what did, I'm I didn't know about. that he wasn't sober. No, I he, he, he came to DopeyCon drunk. You're kidding. The first one shook your hand, duped you. Really? Care to start a beef with Matthew Wiedemeyer? No, Carroll? of course not. I'm glad he's he's doing well. Well, that's nice. You wish him well. Yes. All right, Dad, this has not been one of your better <laughs> episodes. Well, look, I'm doing my best. Anything you want to share about your fantasy status? Uh... Those blankety blanks. Oh, my grandson is See, tied in second place. Did, no, he's did in third. you or did you not love my beef with Seymour? That was funny. And you made me end it. You made me feel bad. And Ginny made me feel bad making fun of you. Yeah. You guys are destroying the show between the two of you. <laughs> you do. Come on. You're, you're trying very hard. To, to How about when trouble. you tried to make the trade with me and Seymour protected me hey, from, your, terrible. from yes. your corrupt uh, control? I can't believe you and Seymour ganged up against me. And now I'm in seventh place. I haven't I haven't updated my roster in weeks. I'm in fourth, and uh, yeah, this is it's going to be a tough year. I want to say something quickly to David Mascalani if he's still listening, which is these gambling sites seem very addictive. You see, oh, pre the pre Nick show, there. Oh, it's horrible. It's like gambling runs everything, and I'm thinking about gambling. You, I'm considering it. Make should, a quick buck. You, I don't even understand these people. You just they give you five bucks and you make two hundred. Oh, and then please. have you also noticed that that's how they get you in? I know. That's the and first I, heroin right. dealer. I know. It's it's uh it's amazing. Uh, no, you got to stay away from that. So so that looks very addictive. And do you see? On all of the the pre games and post game shows, everything is just covered with alcohol sponsorship. It's like we're returning to a a less moral time. I don't know about less moral, but boy, they are they're people, shoving alcohol they're sh- and gambling down our throats. That's for sure. That's terrible. I mean, people have to be strong. They really do. And you've never considered uh, throwing five bucks on a, a triple parlay, no. whatever. Thank goodness, I don't understand what they're talking about. But yes. You like uh, like in a casino, like on the cruise ship or something. Yes. I would have X amount of money. Yes, and that's it. If I lose that, what do you play? What do you? Uh, I I'm, I'm a I you know what do you call it, the roulette wheel thing? It's called roulette roulette thing. Yeah, I maybe I would try to do blackjack. I don't know, but you know who loves gambling? Who? Linda. Really? She she's pretty good at it too. She usually wins. She can walk away. 
Oh, well, that's the most important thing is to walk away. Yeah, that's, that's the tragedy of uh, gambling addiction. You can't walk away, and then you keep coming back. That's the tragedy. And what do you think about celebrities endorsing gambling or alcohol? Any thoughts? Um, I don't think it's good at all. I mean, we, we, have, we have a relative who works for the gambling. He's not really a relative. Yep. He's, ma- he's married in. <laughs> I know. It's like anyway. No, look. I I he think, used to work for a reputable corporation, and now no, he, the National Football League is not reputable. So you think that the gambling is more or less reputable than the National Football League? There's a lot of damage of the National Football League. A lot of damage. Like what? They believe that Jesus lived with the dinosaurs? No, no. The, the, these guys that are playing. Uh, wind the up, concussive nature of the sport. It's very violent. It's incredibly violent. And uh, anyway, but people watch You've it, become quite, me. quite a teetotaler in your old age. Well, yeah, but I have a little wine. Wagging your fingers here and there, blaming uh, this guy. I'm, I'm trying to leave the world better than I found and it. What are you and doing to doing aco- what are you well. doing to accomplish <laughs> I'm not doing it very well. All right. Well, this has been less than fantastic. Yes. But thank you for coming back on. That yes. was a great review. Thank you. What was the review from? Do you know? It didn't have a name. The review is from... Uh, Christopher H15. Oh, okay. Thank you, Christopher. Uh, thank you, Dad. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles for Chris. All right, I'm going to play this song, but only because uh, I think it's going to make me look a little bit more tired. I'm just going to start.